So um, let, me, let me say real quick, we've been doing uh, uh, every week at Wednesday from 12 to 1, we've been having a prayer service. Um, it is so, so important what we're doing there from 12 to 1. Meeting with God, giving Him our hearts, letting Him know that God, our church is for you. We want you to have your way. Um, and so please come meet with us. Uh, this past disaster that happened in Japan, um, I, I was reading on Twitter and someone said, uh, not a believer, obviously, said, I know this is really, I'm, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but, you know, if, if you really care about these people, don't just pray, do something. There is no greater thing we can do for anyone on this planet than to pray to the sovereign God of all power, all control, than, than to give him our hearts and beg him on behalf of these people, beg, beg him to move on, on their behalf. There's nothing greater we can do. Um, and so if you can get here, if you're here for five minutes, ten minutes, if you walk through the room and pray, all right, got to go. I, I don't know what you got to do. Take your lunch break, whatever it is, come up here and pray with us on Wednesdays, 12 to 1. And also, again, we're doing fighter verses. We're memorizing scripture as a church. Uh, how many of you guys are doing that? Is that going good for you, the, the, you that are doing it? This means yes. This means no. All right. Okay, good. All right. Uh, good. So three of you are doing it. Uh, but anyway, um, fighterverses.org, you can order the pack of verses there. Uh, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or anything like that, um, if you drink apple Kool-Aid and you've got all that stuff, you can go on the app store. You can get it there, Fighter Verses. If you have an Android, Matt found it on Android this past week as well. Um, so anyway, so if you see Matt afterwards, say, hey, what was the verse you memorized this week? Um, all right. So, <clears throat> just kidding. Uh, but anyway, uh, let me let me tell you where we are. We we are doing a um, a series. You have heard it said, and, and and let me catch you up here. Now we believe in the Creator God. Not only do we believe in the Creator God of all that we see, we believe in the Sustainer of life. That's what He is. He holds it all together. Now, why did He create all that He created? He created it because uh, His glory. He's so worthy of worship. That's part of the beauty of who He is. He creates, and His creation does what? It points back to who He is. It gives glory to who he is. And so then the, this amazing thing happened. He created us. And, and he created us, why? For relationship with him. Because as, as we are in a relationship with him and as we're satisfied in him, he's glorified in us. By us enjoying who God is, by being satisfied in him, he's glorified in us. And so uh, he wants us to know him. He wants us to have this relationship with him. And so what he did was he said, look, I'm going to come and, and I'm going to show you through Jesus. I'm going to show you uh, this, this, this way that your heart is supposed to be. Obviously, we know something's wrong in this world. We know that we aren't how we should be. We know that there's not, there's not peace where it belongs. Um, and, and so that's in us. And so he says, I'm going to bring that back together in my son. And so we looked at last week, we recapped something called the Beatitudes. Um, and, and, and here they are. And, and Jesus was teaching this, and, and he said, if you want to be truly happy, truly content, if you want to experience true joy, true purpose, true meaning, this is, this is what characterizes your heart. This is the type of person that you are to be. And so he says, let's, let's go through it real quick. Poor in spirit. That's, that's humility, realizing we're nothing without God. Mourning over our sin. Uh, that's being grieved over our sin because it's not until you're grieved, it's not until you're moved over something do you take action to change it. So mourning over our sin. Then meekness, which is, uh, which is self-control. It, it's power under control. So it's, it's meekness, submitting who we are to God completely. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Desiring nothing else than 
to live his way, saying, your way is better. And it's merciful, meeting needs of other people, uh, uh, pure in heart, not a divided heart, not, not saying that I desire God and I also desire these things over here and I'm going to pursue both of them. It's a purity in mind, a purity in focus, a purity in heart, saying, God, above all, I'll find your purposes in everything. And then being a peacemaker is how it's manifested in our lives. We serve a God of reconciliation, and so we should be about reconciliation. And then finally, uh, uh, if you do live this way and you, uh, uh, and you are persecuted, this is how you will stand with these characteristics. So, he, so we look at those Beatitudes, and then there are all these other people, though, that say, like, oh, yeah, well, listen, I understand all that. That's all well and good, but I kept your law, okay? Like, I didn't murder. I didn't kill anybody. Uh, I love people. Like, I stopped. I, I don't I don't run yellow lights, you know what I mean? Like I slam on my brakes, and if that's you, stop doing that. But anyway, like I, I'm a good person, right? And, and and Jesus is saying, no, that's not enough. Like your outward actions, like I, I don't I don't need those. You know what I need? You know what I want? I want your heart. And so he sets a, a completely new standard. And so that's where we are. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you think that, that uh, uh, this is what makes you right with me. You think this is what, what, what uh, 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 brings you back to me. But the reality is I want your heart, not just your actions. And so he immediately last week, we went to the very first thing he said, in Matthew 5, he jumps into anger. Um, and, and remember we talked about, we talked about anger. We talked about, um, people that say, you know what? I didn't, you, he said, you've heard it said, don't kill anybody, right? So I haven't killed anybody, so I'm good. And Jesus says, no, look, that doesn't mean that your hearts are right. Just because you look good on the outside, that doesn't mean your hearts are right. And we looked at three different ways that Jesus addressed anger. And, and the first one was rash anger. You know what I mean? Like anger that's unprovoked anger, like losing your patience, losing your temper with someone. Or insulting people, and lastly, grudges, not looking uh, to reconcile with people. And we have to realize that God is a God of reconciliation. He's a God of peace. He made peace for us, with, with us and God, with us and himself. And so we need to be about being peacemakers and making peace um, with others. And so that moves into our topic today. Uh, and our topic today is, is lust. Let's check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Let me read there. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Lust is a lot of what drives our culture, is it not? Lust is all over our culture, ads and movies and media and television. Let's be honest, lust, like really, it is the fuel, basically, of, of, our, of our culture. You know, like, I'll, I'll be honest, if it weren't for lust, I don't know if I would have stayed awake in my math class in ninth grade. You know what I mean? Like, lust is really something that drives a lot of people in, in our culture. And, uh, uh, and the reality is, what's the core of lust? What is lust? Lust is a strong sexual desire. So the very core of lust is what? Sexuality and sex. And, and, and sex is something that um, it, it has great power. It's an amazing thing. But also it's, it's also extremely misunderstood. And because of that, it can be very, very destructive. So before we even move into lust, we've got to understand what about sexuality? Why did God even give us a sexual nature? If, it's, if it can be so destructive, and we all know that. Everyone in this room knows that. If it can be that destructive, why even give us a sexual nature, right? Like why even do that in the first place? And here's why. God, God gave us a sexual nature. Why? To better understand him. Let me say this. The main reason, not the only reason, the main reason 
we're sexual beings is to give us a language to better understand God. He absolutely made sexuality and sex for, for pleasure and enjoyment, but, but the main reason he gave it to us was to give us a better language to understand our relationship to God. And you go, what? I'm leaving the church. No, hang on, all right? Like, stay with me. Uh, uh, look at it. In Ezekiel chapter 16, uh, God is talking about the Israelites, um, the, the people that he chose to show his love and favor to. Uh, and and, and he, look at the words he uses here. He uses a very strong sexual language uh, when he's talking about them. Check this out. Ezekiel 16, 4 through 10. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field for you abhorred on the day you were born. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. Leather. Look at this. I made my vow to you and entered a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. What a passionate sexual uh, language that is. You became mine. I made you mine. And let's, let's keep reading. He keeps going. He says, thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them played the whore. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. Look at this. This is a picture of a faithless Israel. It's an Israel that walked away from God. And what's, what's the words he uses here? He doesn't say, you are a faithless church. He says, you are a whore. He's using very strong sexual language, this, this ownership, right? This, this ownership of us. Um, and again, we see the purpose of sexuality giving us a language to understand God, God's love for us. And so God brings judgment on the whorish wife. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and will uncover your nakedness to them and they will see all your nakedness. But though he judges and brings punishment, God hates divorce. And so he brings his whorish wife back and he redeems her. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as I have done, as, as you have done. You who have despised the oath and breaking the covenant, yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. When I atone for you all that you have done, declares the Lord God. This is the promise of Jesus. Look at that verse 63. When I atone for you all that you have done, 
done. Just as uh, husbands love your wife as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, this is, this is a very uh, 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 sexual imagery that, that God uses. In Revelation chapter 19, it says that uh, there is the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he uses this relationship between husband and wife to describe his love and his relationship between himself and us, the church. Again, it serves its purpose. The sexuality in us serves the main purpose, not the only, but the main purpose to give us a language to understand God's love and relationship to us. And so as we look at that, we need to know that, that, that as, as sexually you're able to deeply and intimately know one another in the same way God desires to deeply and intimately know all of us. Um, and so what we see here is that God uses a picture of marriage uh, uh, as the, in the sexual intimacy in marriage um, as, something, as something deeper than just physical, but, but an emotional and a spiritual knowing, a, 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 um, a vulnerability, an intimacy uh, that no one else can experience. Um, and, and we see that, that physical connection between husband and wife there, as, as God intended, it's a, it's a, it's an, uh, a vulnerability. It's, a, it's something like, like nothing else. Um, here and and truly truly what it is is it's love it's unselfish and and, and it's it's about giving yourself to someone else ephesians 5 tells us that husbands we're to give ourselves to our wives wives you're to give yourself to your husband it's a very unselfish thing it's a very loving thing It, it is love so let's look conversely then what is lust lust is ugly Lust is so ugly. Lust takes sexuality, this beautiful thing that God gave us to better understand himself, uh, our relationship to him, and, 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 and this beautiful thing he gave us to, to, to deeply know one another. And, and, and he took that, and, and, and lust takes that, and it makes it an object. That's what it does. Lust takes that sexuality, and it makes it, it, makes it an object, and it takes it away from what God uh, originally intended. Now, now, lust manifests itself in all of our lives differently, but it affects us all the same in two main ways. Number one, lust corrupts. Lust corrupts. Lust takes sexuality away from what it was intended to be, and it, and it corrupts it into an object. And here's the true tragedy of that. Because when it takes our sexuality and makes it nothing but an object, then what that does is there are people involved in sexuality. And so what it does is it objectifies them. It dehumanizes them. And so that's what lust does to us. As we view other people, we dehumanize them. We're created in the image of God. Therefore, we need to respect one another. We need to love one another. We need to serve one another. But when sexuality becomes an object in lust, then that person that you lust after becomes what? An object. Do you understand? So you dehumanize them. You don't see them as Christ sees them anymore. And it corrupts them. And so now real true intimacy between you and someone else is getting further and further away because now you're not seeing them for who they are. You're seeing them as an object for your satisfaction. So lust corrupts, but it also consumes. Um, I read an article about uh, how um, Inuits uh, or, or Eskimos for for all of you not politically correct people out there, uh, uh, how, they would, uh, how they would kill these wolves. Um, they would take a knife and, and they would sharpen it and they would uh, dip it in blood. And then they would freeze it. And then they would dip it in blood and they would freeze it. And then they dip it in blood and they would freeze it. And so they have this knife and it's covered. It's like a, it's like a blood popsicle, all right? And so they would take this knife and they would stick it in the ground, blade up. And so the wolf had this like, this, this, uh, very keen sense of smell, and it would track down that blood, and it would begin to lick that 
blood sickle, if you will, right? And so as it licked it, all of a sudden, it just went crazy. All of a sudden, it recognizes, like, like okay, this is, this is blood. This is what I want. Is their instincts take over, and, and they're just consumed after this blood now. So they lick feverishly and feverishly. And then eventually, they get down to the blade. But at this point, they cut their tongue. But their instincts are so overtaken, and they're so overwhelmed by their desire for this blood. Now they're lapping up their own blood, and they don't even know it. And so by morning, the hunters will find these wolves dead next to uh, the knives. They, they bled out. And so, so in the same way, they were consumed by their lust. In the same way, excuse me, in the same way, lust consumes us and it controls us. And as Christians, our bodies don't belong to us. We are not to be controlled by anything else. First Corinthians six twelve: All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Yes, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. I've never known any other sin personally uh, or seen in in other people's lives, uh, sin like lust that pulls you deeper and deeper into places you don't want to go and further and further away from places that you do. You get what I'm saying? I've never known another sin that's pulled you into a place where you sat there and you look around and you go, how did I get here? How did I end up doing this? How did I end up thinking this? How did I end up being this? Lust has an amazing effect on people, but it manifests itself in people in different ways. So I want to address three different people in here. One, I'm going to speak directly to the men real quick. And this is easy. That's why I go to you because lust, I mean, come on. This is an easy one to address for the guys. Uh, the, the first way that I think it affects us is, is wandering eyes. Um, now, here's what I mean by that. Um, when, when you, when you look at a, a, a girl, like when you happen to see a girl, um, um, you can't help that, right? You have vision. Okay. And, and this word here, lust, uh, uh, to lust here in, in the scripture, in the Greek, um, it is, it's indicative of a purpose. It's meaning a purposeful glance. Okay. So it's not meaning that you're just sitting there and all of a sudden a beautiful girl walks by and you're like, my eyes, like, no, all right. Like you can't help that. Right. But what it's talking about is a purposeful glance. And, and so what you do there is when you see that, that, that girl and you look and it's purposeful, then, then what you do there is, again, you reduce her, what, to an object. No longer is she, is, is she a person made in the image of God. No longer is, is she a person to declare the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now what is she? She's an object for your desire. And so uh, uh, we, we've been called in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, back to the Beatitudes, to be merciful, to meet needs. When you're lusting after someone, when that's what people become to you, and they're, and they're just, you enter a room, and that's what you're looking for. So, you know, the, the, the attractive person, the, the hot girl, or, or whatever, then all of a sudden, are you looking to meet people's needs? No, you're consumed by what? Your lust. Looking after someone, not looking at them as Christ would look at them to love them. You're looking at them as an object for yourself. Um, And so I want to say two things. I want to say to husbands, when you do that, you're wounding your wife. Stop. You're wounding your wife. When you're in a restaurant and your eyes follow someone across the room, you're wounding your wife. Deeply, stop, love her, cherish her, treasure her, stop. I want to say to dads, dads, when you think that you're just being a dad, 
and you're just being a guy with your, with your son or whatever. Hey, look at that, whatever. If you think they don't notice, you think you're not teaching them how to look at other people and how to treat other people, you are. You're their example. Be better. You think it's no big deal. I'm just, yeah, I'm just looking at this girl, you know, like I'm with my kids and yeah, I'm just looking and whatever. There was a video on America's Funny, some videos they played over and over again. And it was a dad and he was filming his kids and then these girls walk by in a bikini and he follows them, you know, with a camera. And like we laugh at it and whatever, but your kids see that. They know that. They notice that. And then you're teaching your sons not to be, not to be men of integrity, not to be men of respect and love and of service. You're teaching them to be like everybody else. You're setting a trap for them. Dads, protect your children. Um, so not only wandering eyes, but, but that turns into something else too for guys, and it's pornography. Um, there, I could throw stats at you all day, guys, all day about pornography and, and what it does. But uh, one of the things that, that you need to recognize is that you go, well, it's, I'm by myself. You know, I'm not one of the weirdos that goes to the public library and looks at it, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm by myself. It, it's not affecting anyone else. It absolutely is. Because what you're doing is you're turning this, this, this amazing thing that God has given us to connect to one another and ultimately to understand his love for us better, and you're making it an act, you're making it a physical act, nothing more, nothing less. You're making it a sport, if you will. And, and, and sexuality is not a sport. It's an art. It's about expression. It's about love. It's about connection. It's about intimacy. And you're making it something it's not. And you say, it's no big deal. It's just me. You're affecting your wife. You're affecting the intimacy with her, and you don't even know it. You're turning it into something so so corrupt and so different and so much less than what God intended. You're stealing your joy by doing it, is what I'm telling you. And so uh, uh, as we do that, uh, we're chipping away at this cornerstone in our marriage, this sexuality. And so what both of these things do, wandering eyes and pornography, it consumes us and then it makes it impossible for us to see others as Christ sees them, as we're called to see them, as we're called to love them. Now women, um, I, I, I consulted some experts and when I say experts, I mean they're, they're, they were women, you know, and all women are experts, men. Uh, so anyway, um, so uh, anyway, so uh, I talked to them about this, and, and I was like, how does lust affect you? Now, yeah, I understand women. Like sometimes, you know, you see a gentleman such as myself, and you're like, that's a good-looking dude. I understand that. Why are you laughing? I'm very sensitive. So... No, but I understand that. I understand that you see, you know, like you might see a good-looking guy, and you're like, that's, that's a good-looking guy. There aren't very many of us out there, okay? Like, they just aren't. We're weird-looking. But, uh, but anyway, like, I understand. You might see one. You might be like, oh, all right, that's a pretty good-looking guy. Maybe so. But, but I think lust manifests in your life a little bit differently. I, I think the way that lust manifests in women's life, it's not a visual thing, but it's a fantasy thing. Do you get what I'm saying? I, I think w- with women, it's, it's building an emotional, a, a deeply emotional uh, connection with someone that, that, that is not your spouse, and then building a fantasy in your mind. Do you understand? And you might say, like, wow, that's way off base. I don't know. This is what girls tell me, okay? And, uh, and, so, uh, and think about it. Think about it logically. Pornography is geared towards who? Mainly. It's geared towards who? Men. Romance novels are geared to, co- towards who? Mainly. Women. Fantasy. It's building that fantasy. That stupid Twilight book that's out there, why is that so popular? Is it because the vampires are cool and, and all women are, are bloodsuckers? They are, but no, listen. No, listen. Listen. Brother John told me to say that. So, 
He'll be in his office. No, no. But why is it popular? Because it's this fantasy. It's this love story, and, and these women get sucked into it. And so, and so in, in your way, it's, a, it's seeking a deep emotional connection with someone that isn't yours. Do you understand? Like my connection with my wife, I don't want to have that with anyone else. I don't want to have that deep emotional, uh, personal, spiritual way of knowing each other with anyone else. She is mine and I am hers. So you know what? I, I, I can't know you that way. And, and I shouldn't even desire to know you that way. And so women, it's a, it's a fantasy thing. And, and can I speak to couples real quick? And, and I'm going to speak to unmarried couples real quick. Or if you're single in this room and you're going to date sometime. And if you go, no, there's just no way. Like, seriously, look at me. I got married. So if I can do it, you can too. But anyway, if you get married, if, if, if you're a couple, one of the things our world tells you is that um, if you're looking at a chart, the, the longer that uh, emotional intimacy goes and the greater that emotional intimacy goes, then sexual intimacy should grow as well. Do you understand? Like, like if the longer you date, the closer you get. I met your parents. We have a dog together. You get what I'm saying? The more that your emotional intimacy grows, our world tells you your physical intimacy should grow with it. That is a lie. That is a lie. Think about this. Think about in your relationships. And every, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about because you dated at some point. I'm assuming. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to assume anything. But, but anyway, think about this like this. You're going out, you're in this relationship, you're getting to know each other, you're experiencing a relational and emotional intimacy you've never experienced before, and this deep love for one another, and then what happened? You let sexual intimacy start to seep in, and what took over? Did emotional intimacy still reign? Nope. What took over? Sexual intimacy. Why? Because God didn't design it like that. God didn't design for sexual intimacy to belong outside of marriage, and so it begins to erode and destruct everything you've built up. And in our world, it tells you, like, well, I'm still a virgin. Like, I didn't go this far. Let me ask you a question. Like, like you might say, well, how far is too far? You know what I mean? Like, well, well we, we kissed, but we didn't do this. Or we did this, but we didn't do this. And all these things. Like, let me, if, if you talk about those things, you say, we did all these things, but we, did, we didn't have sex. If you were to talk to a married person and you were to ask them, like, you know, when you make out, what do you call that? We call that foreplay. How many married people just make out? You know, that's weird. Like, it's always leading towards something. So what I mean by that is, is even that is sexual intimacy. It's all part of the sexual intimacy. So protect yourselves, couples. Don't buy into that lie. Don't let that sexual intimacy come in where it doesn't belong because it will crush out that emotional intimacy that you're looking for. Um, and and, and the, a Syracuse University uh, survey asked married couples to rank the 10 most important things in a marriage relationship. Caring, a sense of humor, and communication came in first, second, and third. Sex came in ninth, just ahead of sharing household duties. I also read a study recently that, that most people... <laughs> I, I don't, someone explain it to me later. I don't get it. But anyway, uh, I... Uh, uh, I, I recently read a study, too, that, that of all these couples they surveyed, on average, they have sex two times a week. And on average, in that two times a week, they average between sex is five to seven minutes. So let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's say you have sex two times a week, seven minutes each, 14 minutes a week. Then you've got to fill all the other minutes. A relationship, sexual intimacy is, a, is an integral part and it's a beautiful thing, but emotional and relational intimacy is what carries your relationship. That's the, the foundation of it. So don't let this other thing come in when it's not supposed to and crush it. Okay, so lust manifests itself in different people's lives differently, yet it has the same effect. 
It consumes us. It corrupts us in the way that we see other people. And then we can't go out and meet needs like we're called to be. We can't go out and be what Jesus has called us to be. And so what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Look at what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, here's what we can do. We have a choice now. We can either embrace temptation or eliminate it. Embrace or eliminate. And you might say, I can't possibly eliminate temptation. Like, like you don't understand, okay? Like, like, when I'm tempted in this area of my life, like, it's just like everything just shuts down and I'm just after that one thing, okay? Like, you don't understand. I don't have the ability. If you're a believer in this room, that's a lie. If you're not a believer, you're right. You don't. We'll talk about that later. But if you're a believer in this room, that's a lie. You do have the ability through Christ. It says here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He'll never let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. You may be able to endure it. So how do we eliminate temptation? He just said it, escape. If I can quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail real quick. Run away, okay? Like, run away. Like, that's our, that's our move, okay? Run away. Flee it. Leave it. Well, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures is, is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Joseph was uh, staying in this house, and Potiphar, he had a wife, and, and I like to think that it was like a, um, you know, like a, 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 a really, I don't, cougar, okay? Cougar. That's what she is, okay? So she's just a really attractive woman, and she's coming on to Joseph all the time. And there's one night, like, he sits down, and she, like, just kind of just starts coming on to him, and she's like, it's, it, it's happening, all right, Joseph? Like, it is happening. So she starts to grab his clothes and all these things. And so what does he do? Joseph recognizes his weakness, and he says, you know what? If I sit here any longer, I know what I'm going to do. So you know what Joseph did? He ran off butt naked, but he ran off. Like he, she was holding on his cloak and he was like, I don't even have time to put my clothes. I got to get, you know what I mean? So he just runs out, right? Why? Because he valued following God better. He valued what God had for him and he, he honored God in this area of his life. So he fled temptation. In first Timothy six eleven it says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. You know, your weakness. So protect yourself. Flee this temptation. Build barriers between you and temptation. Men, in the area of pornography, there are all kinds of helps for you. There's a website called xxxchurch.com. Please don't go to xxx.com. Not good. Go to xxxchurch.com. And they have all kinds of software to help you with that. They have a recovery program to help you with that. Find some help with that. Protect yourself. If, if, you, if you look at things and, and, and maybe your eyes are a problem for you, avoid areas of temptation. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I said, dude, you having a problem with your eyes? He said, absolutely. It's like everywhere I go, I'm just looking at women in a different way, in a way that I shouldn't or whatever. And here's what I told him. I said, hey, this summer, don't go to the mall ever. And he was like, what are you talking? Don't go. Well, what if I need to? Order it off Amazon. I don't care. Don't go. And he said, why? And I said, man, are you serious? It's the mall. And you're going to be booty shorts everywhere, okay? Like, don't go, Okay. Avoid temptation. You know where your weaknesses are. Stay out. It's like an alcoholic going like, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to the bar today. I'm not going to have a drink. Can you bring this? Can you put it on my table? Can you put, just put the beer on my table? I just want to look at it. All right? Like, I'm not going to touch it, though. I'm just going to avoid it. Flee your temptation. Women, maybe there's some relationships that you need to walk away from. Maybe there's some relationships in your life you need to walk away from because you're having 
problems uh, with, with fantasizing and, and making up this, this relationship with them that you shouldn't. Or maybe you're, maybe you're getting too close with them. So maybe you need to walk away from some relationships. Couples, avoid situations of temptation. Avoid situations of temptation. I remember um, a friend of mine in, in college, and I went to a Baptist college, so you weren't allowed to uh, be in girls' rooms, and girls weren't allowed to be in guys' rooms. Uh, like, that would stop them. And, uh, and so, anyway, a friend of mine, he came back to the dorm one night, and he was really upset because he and his girlfriend... They, they, they did some things sexually. They did, and he was like, I didn't want to do it. I don't know why we did it. And I said, well, then can I ask you a question? Where, where did you go tonight? Did you guys go to dinner or something? No? No? Well, well, where did you go? Well, we were just driving around. What? Yeah, we were just driving around. And, and what happened? Well, I mean, you know, we started talking, and we ended up parking somewhere. You idiot. Like, you had no plan? Like, where were you going? Well, we were just driving around. What always happens when you drive around? We park. Oh, my gosh. Oh, stop getting in the car, all right? Like, only take her places that you know you're going someplace. Avoid temptation. I, re- I remember, uh, uh, you know, like dating my wife. There were times where we said, okay, when we come home, uh, whose parent is home, all right? Like, your parents aren't home, then we're hanging out at my parents' house, right? Because we knew where our temptation was. Avoid temptation. Run from it. You say, at what cost, though, Grant? Okay, like, I can't just walk away from relationships. We can't just relegate our dating life to being in public places, okay? Like, well, I, I, can't, I can't just, like, like password protect my whole computer and just kind of try to stay off of that. Like, what do you mean, at what cost? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's saying, take drastic measures because the cost is high. The stakes are high. There was a man just a few days ago um, in California. He had a, a broken hand. He's on his way to the hospital, and there's an SUV turned over, and a woman pinned inside, and the SUV was on fire. And so this man, without thinking about himself at all, he broke through the glass, cut his leg wide open doing it, and climbed in that burning car and pulled her out. Why? You know what he said? He said, what else was I going to do? And he said, the, the stakes were, were too high. It was, it was, it was too much at, 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 uh, at risk here. This is this lady's life. Your relationship with God is at risk here. Your purity, your, your, your worship of God is at risk here. And that's the best thing we have. That, that's the most valuable thing we have is our relationship with God, this new life we have in Christ. Take whatever precautions you have to take at all costs, at all costs. And can I say this real quick? Uh, um, is that sexual sin makes you feel so alone, so alone. It's, 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 the, it's a sin that makes you so guilty and, and, and dirty and, and shameful and alone. And the reality is you are not alone. If you're a believer in here, you're not alone. Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear each other's burdens. So what I want you to do, maybe find someone, find some accountability. Guys, definitely find some accountability. Proverbs 27.17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Be there for each other. Carry each other's burdens. And, and can I say this, women, if you really love us, then love us. And what I mean by that, if you really love us, be modest. Be, dress modestly. Understand that we are weird, awful creatures as men. Be modest. Don't flaunt your sexuality. Our, our world tells you that, like, it's your sexuality. You use it. You embrace it. It empowers you. And all it's not yours. It's not yours. God gave it to you for you to give to your husband. So honor him and honor us by helping us. And being, being women of virtue and being women of purity. Help us in that way, if you will. 
And so in spouses, spouses, how do we help each other? First Corinthians seven, three through five, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so, so spouses, give yourself to one another. Women don't, and I'm not saying this to all the women in the room, but, but some women, our culture teaches you to do this. You use sex as a bargaining chip. That's not what it is. It's not an object for you to use. You know, mow the lawn and then I'll, uh, all right. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not it. Your sexuality is a gift for you to give to your husband and husbands likewise for you to give to your wife. So give yourself to one another. Husbands, you can keep your wives from going out and building fantasy by being her man at home. And women, you can save your husband from going out and seeking uh, uh, satisfaction somewhere else by being his bride at home. Do you understand? So give yourselves to one another. I want to say this as we close. I already said this once, but sexual sin is one that, that makes us feel so guilty, so dirty, so out of the reach of Christ. It's so controlling and so corruptive. It, it makes us feel like there's nothing. God will never love me. He'll never accept me. I can never come out of this. The scriptures tell us, I'm gonna put up three right here. I want you to look at these. There is, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can be forgiven. He's waiting to forgive you. He's waiting to restore you. One of my favorite stories is about Rahab the harlot. Rahab was in Jericho. You guys remember Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? Jericho, Jer- all right, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, right? And so what he did was uh, the, the spies came in and Rahab the harlot, a prostitute, she honored God and she believed God. She said, I've heard about your God. I don't know him, but I've heard about your God. I know his power is great and I know he's given you this city. So all I ask is that your great God by his power spare me and my family. And you know what happened to, to Rahab? She was spared, and not only uh, uh, was she spared, but she was honored. In Hebrews 11, we see all these great heroes of the faith. Do you know who's in that list of heroes? Rahab the prostitute is in that list of heroes of our faith. Isn't that amazing? God can redeem you. God can restore you. God can clean you up. He can remove that guilt and shame, and he can bring restoration. So husbands and wives, maybe some of you today, maybe need to get together and recommit yourselves to one another. Husbands, maybe you need to, um, uh, maybe you need to, to, to come to your wife and ask forgiveness. Wives, maybe you need to come to your husband and ask forgiveness and bring restoration. Men, I want to encourage you, fight the good fight. Don't roll over because our culture is so overwhelmed with lust. Don't roll over and say, well, this is just how it is. It's just how guys are. No, it's not. It's, 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 it's the way of the world, but it's a way of death. You know life, and it's life in Christ. Don't roll over. Fight the good fight. Maybe today is the first day. Maybe you were looking at pornography last night. Maybe you lusted after someone in this room. But you say right now in this moment, today's a new day. This is a new moment. God, your way is better, and I'm going to fight this. Find some accountability. Find out some ways. Uh, get some help. Come talk to me. Let's, let's find some ways to fight this together. Singles, if you're dating or not, commit this area of your life to your future spouse. Honor them in, in that.
that way and commit this to God. Commit that sexual intimacy to him. Don't be controlled by that lust. Um, and, and maybe find, find, again, find other believers to hold you up and to carry you through this. We may not all be controlled um, uh, uh, by, by lust, but we are all affected um, by lust. And so I don't, uh, may, may God today free us from that. If anyone in here is controlled by that, and may we be people controlled by the love of Christ. May we not be corrupted in the way we see others, but instead may we see others as Christ sees them, which are people who need to hear the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For some of you in this room, you might be like, you know what, I have, I'm powerless against lust. You know what, I, I'm, I'm just like, it just runs my life. There's nothing I can do about it. Maybe for you, maybe the reason why you're powerless is because you're still powerless in your sin. Maybe you've never come to know Jesus. Maybe you've never said, you know what, your way's better, not mine. And, and, and maybe you've never given your life to him. Maybe you never submitted your life to him. And maybe that's why it controls you. Because you know what, if you haven't given your life to him, you are powerless. The Bible says you are. You're completely powerless. So if you want a better way, if you want to live his life, his full life, and live with him forever, do it today. We're going to um, we're do something different today. Um, the band, band, can you come up? Um, we're going to, they're going to sing a song, and, and we're, going to do, we're going to do the offering real quick. Um, and and, and if, if, if God's moving your heart, um, find me afterwards. I'll be in here. Brother John will be in here. I'm, I'm the last one to leave this room every Sunday. I know that this sin is one that's very sensitive. I know that it's one that's very, it's covered in guilt, it's covered in shame. If you need to talk, if you need to talk to me, you need to talk to my wife, or you need to talk to Brother John or somebody in here, we're going to be in here. So hang out in here. Come find us in here. If you want to leave the room and come back, I don't care. Come find us in here. But, but we're going to do that differently today. And so, so ushers, go ahead and get ready to take up the offering. I'm going to pray real quick, and we'll, we'll do that. And then, then we'll, we'll leave as the band leaves us, uh, leads us. But um, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to recommit yourself today, you come, come talk to us afterwards. Come find us. And if you need to give your heart to the Lord for the first time, just because we're going to leave this room and it's noon and people are leaving, doesn't mean the invitation's over doesn't mean his offer for a new life, his offer for forgiveness, his offer for, for, for his love and for his affection, doesn't mean that's over. Come talk to us. Come find us. So today, it's all up to you. We're not going to have an altar call. It's not going to be like, hey, everybody get up, and some people come. It's all up to you. If God's really moving in your heart, men, if you're really deciding to fight this, women, if you're really deciding to fight this, couples, if you're really trying to fight this, then you'll come get help. You'll come talk about it. You'll come have us pray for you. So I encourage you to do that. Come find us after. If you need to know Jesus, it's on you. Don't leave this place. Don't leave this place without talking to us. We can, we can show you how to submit your life to him. We can show you how to find new life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your message. God, I, I thank you that um, in a world controlled by lust, you offer a way out. In a world controlled um, by sexuality and, 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 it's, and it's turning people into objects and it's turning, it's turning people um, away from true intimacy and true love as you designed it. God, I thank you that, that you offer us a new way, a better way, a way of joy and purpose and meaning and life. God, I pray for my brothers. I pray for my brothers out there who are struggling with lust and they're drowning in it. They're controlled by it. They're corrupted by it. 
God, speak to their hearts now. Let them know that today they're free. They are free. And God, you'll help them fight today. And tomorrow, your mercies are new, and you'll help them fight tomorrow. And the day after that, your mercies are new, and you'll fight with them tomorrow. Let them know they're free. Set them free today. For the women in this room longing for the love and the intimacy that they're not finding with their husbands, heal their marriages. Set them free of their pursuit. Draw them back to you. Draw them back to their, their marriage and heal that relationship. For the couples in this room, that God, they brought sexual intimacy in where it doesn't belong and it's crushing their relationship and it's crushing their joy. I know what that's like. It's crushing all of that in their life. God, set them free from that today. Show them how to fight that today. Teach us to flee our temptation and cling to your cross. God, bring some healing. This is a sin that hurts us and wounds us worse than any other, I believe. So God, heal us today. And if there are hearts in this room that don't know you, they're not followers of you, they're controlled by their lusts, they're controlled by all kinds of things because God, they're not controlled by you. God, burden their hearts today to not leave this room until they talk to someone and say, I want to follow Jesus for real this time. I want to follow him. How do I do that? God, meet with us. Bring healing. Bless this offering. 